My name is Dave Hollenbach, the host of From Embers to Excellence. My goal is to explore the many facets of leadership from the perspectives of some amazing people. In addition to leadership, I like to discuss mental health, PTSD, and overcoming adversity. If you have a favorite episode, I would love to hear about it. Message me through social media or my website, and I will share some free tools to help you achieve your goals. Please like, subscribe, and leave a review. If you haven't purchased your copy of my book, Fireproof, please grab a copy today. Thanks for listening. Today, I'm speaking with Chip Nightingale. He is an executive, a gifted national and international conference speaker, evangelist, author, entrepreneur, and life and leadership coach. His goal is to help people to grow in their understanding of themselves and the people they lead. Chip has been successful in business, leading a church, growing a camp, and coaching high school and college sports for over 20 years. And today is an executive for one of the largest camping ministries in the world, serving in over 80 countries. And one of the things that uh, I know we're going to discuss is his book, Ceasefire, Finding Peace When All You See Is Conflict. But first, let us learn more about you, Chip. Uh, thank you very much for allowing me this opportunity to have this conversation and uh, share with the audience. Thanks, Dave. Yeah, I'm excited about being with your guest. And uh, just a little bit about myself. I'm a, I'm a Michigan, Michigander by uh, birth. I basically have spent most of my life there in Michigan and um, really uh, enjoy that state. But I am so happy that we are in Florida where it's warm all the time now. And uh, which uh, I don't know if you've ever uh, experienced both end of things, but I have uh, really enjoyed uh, coming down here to Florida. We came down here during COVID. So it's been kind of crazy to just see the different spectrums. All my friends in Michigan are still, seems like they're dealing with COVID and we never even talk about it here. So uh, it's just uh, interesting that it's like we're living in two different worlds and I'm thankful for that. Um, a little bit about myself. I, uh, I just, like you said, um, I'm an executive for a camping ministry called Word of Life here in Hudson, Florida. We're, we're really all over the world, 80 plus countries. And um, I what love the a, ministry. What's what that? Is a, what is a camping ministry? Well, we, we have a camp to young people. So I don't know if you went to camp. Most people have gone to camp as a, as a young person at some point in time. And and uh, we have the great opportunity to minister to about a million young people all around the world. Some of our camps are 30,000, 40,000 um, a year uh, campers. And um, it's just been incredible to just get to experience some of that. In fact, I just taught a class in the Philippines, which was pretty awesome. Wow. And um, uh, just uh, I did it all by Zoom, which is crazy. I wish I could have gone over there, but uh, it's one of our largest camps camps that we have in the world and uh and just have a great great ministry there reaching a bunch of bunch of young people and but that's what gets me excited i get excited about uh impacting lives and it seems like the the stages of my life from high school all the way up to this point i can see how uh, my life has been developed and and brought to this place where i'm in a position in which, uh, even though I don't have a huge staff, we're impacting um, people all around the world, raising millions and millions of dollars every year so that we can. And uh, 
anyways yeah so i mean I, my story is pretty pretty um deep with uh, a lot of uh a lot of testimony in it um but uh needless to say I, I have gone through a lot of ups and downs and love sharing about those things love sharing about the things i've learned how to grow my business how to grow a church how to lead my family and Looking forward to, to, to having this opportunity to share with your audience about some of the things that I've learned. Awesome. Well, were you born and raised in Michigan? Yep, born and raised in Michigan um, on the southwest side. Was born in Sturgis, Michigan, and um, grew up in the Kalamazoo area. In fact, that's where my construction business was. And then just north of Kalamazoo, um, there was a small town called Allegan, and uh, that's where um, the church was that I led for eight years. And yeah, yeah, love being there. But like I said, definitely love being down here a whole lot more. Were you brought up in the church? Is that yeah, kind of what yeah. led you into the ministry was just, you know, your family ties? Yeah, well, kind of. My dad was a pastor for 35 years, and I have my brother's a pastor. Um, I actually did not want to be a pastor. I went to school to be to be uh, in business. I have my business management degree and ended up getting my seminary degree while I was pastoring a church. But really, uh, I was more passionate about growing a business, making a lot of money, didn't want anything to do with the church. They were so hypocritical, um, all those types of things. And my life just turned. Um, I went through some tragic things within my life. I went through a really bad divorce in my mid twenties. And then, uh, from there went, uh, um, you know, I, I met my wife, I am who I have today and she, she's been amazing, but through that I've gone through bankruptcies for my business and, and all these types of things that just kind of led me into a place where I needed to lean on God because I just was not making it on my own and coming full circle, the, the church, that I grew up in, um, that my dad actually pastored at basically came to a place where they were like, we need a pastor. And uh, my dad had moved on and asked if I would do it. And I was like, no, <laughs> I, I kind of laughed at him. And, um, um, they're like, I just said, Hey, I'm not qualified. I'm not qualified to be a pastor. I don't have a grief for that. And they said, well, we think you are, and we'd like you to put your name in it. So that's what, what I did. And, I did everything I could to scare them off and they, they still let me walk through that process and they did end up voting me to be their pastor. And, and, uh, and I really enjoyed it. I, and in fact, I, I missed that part of it. I, I love uh, ministering to people, but I'm just doing it in a different way today. So what was it that, uh, you know, provided you that shift in mindset um, from you know, viewing the church as, you know, like congregations of hypocrites and stuff like that, you know, viewing it in in a negative light to, you know, changing. I mean, you mentioned some, some personal tragedies, you know, and some yeah. uh, personal upheaval. Um, you know, was it those experiences and just kind of leaning on your faith that helped yeah you? well i uh um right after my divorce um it was right during the time period of time that i was going through it i have a we had a daughter together and i i was struggling i i felt sick in fact my dad said I, we lost my mom to cancer when i was 15 years old 
And my dad actually said, I think you look worse than your mom did. Uh, it looked like you had cancer. And I was so hurt. I, I didn't want the divorce. Um, my wife ended up leaving me for someone else. And, and she, she kind of went through this, this process of, and I obviously, because I wasn't fighting against her, she was finding everything she could to, to make me feel lower and lower and lower to the point where I planned a suicide. Um, there was this place right, right, not too far away from where we lived. And I was just going to take my car, run right through this tree. Um, many people had died on that corner. And, uh, and, and at that moment, um, you know, I felt rejected by everything, the church, you know, I used to, I, up to that point, I was in worship, I sang, I, you know, all these types of things. And I remember the pastor just came to me and said, you know, you'll never serve in this church again. Um, and it was like that thing that just put me over the edge and it's like, what is my value? So I, I, I thought that really I had no purpose to be here anymore. And as I'm driving down to that, to that tree, uh, it was like something reached up and grabbed my car and pulled it right down and it stopped it and no explanation. I didn't push it, put on the brakes or anything like that. And I got out and I just said, God, you know what? I don't know what your plan is for my life, but if, if you can use me, um, here I am. And, uh, it's not that it's been easy ever since then, but really that was kind of my wake up call. I think being a pastor's kid, seeing all the turmoil my dad went through as a pastor, I was just like, I don't want it. I don't want to deal with that stuff. I don't want to deal with people who think that they're above grace and above loving people and all that kind of stuff. And um, so that just changed my heart. And then, and then when the church came and asked me to be their pastor, the way they handled it, it was like, I'm not qualified. I'm divorced. I grew up saying, well, you know, and that's the pastor I was going to at the time was like, you know, during my divorce, uh, it was like, you're never going to serve in a church again. Well, that's how I was raised. That's how I grew up. Very traditional church. But for a church to come and say, no, 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 no. We, we think you are. Um, and here's why you have proven that you are a person of integrity, a person who loves people, a person who looks at at them as who they are. You don't look at their sin. You don't look at their their issues. And I think because I could see them the same way I wanted people to see me, um, it just changed. And really that opened the door and our church grew like crazy. And we were called the church with uh, the church of misfits because we had all these people in our church that were broken, uh, issues like you could not even imagine and uh we just loved on them we just loved on them and loved on them and loved on them our church went from 75 to 750 in about a six-year period of time and uh i i loved uh i loved being a part of that but i think that was the the change i think it was the realization that god obviously had a purpose for me to be here and then the that church loving me so much and just saying you know what we think you're you're something special. We think that you can be used by God. We think that there's a purpose for you. And uh, it's really been the thing that's kind of elevated me to the place I am today. And what was it that led you to Florida? Was it the, the camping ministries? Yeah. In fact, uh, Word of Life, uh, their headquarters are, was up in New York. But during the time that they were asking us um, to come, we thought we'd be moving to upstate New York um 
but the reality was is that they were transitioning to their property down in Florida. And that's what led us here. Um, really never thought we'd get an opportunity to move south. I've always liked being where it's warm. Um, and this, you know, the Lord uh, gave us that opportunity. And yeah, so that's that's really what led us here. The, the president of the organization um, saw what was happening within the church. I actually, during that time, became an executive director of a camping ministry, an inner city camping ministry right down the road from the church. And they were in some serious debt. And I helped them get out of debt to the point where they had cash um, in the reserve. So when COVID hit, even though I wasn't there anymore, they survived COVID without even having to, to borrow money from the government or any of those types of things. And uh, so the president of War of Life came to me and just said, hey, you know what? We think that you'd be a great fit for us. Would you consider it? And uh, so we did. And that's what, that's how we ended up down here. So can you tell me more what uh, what a camping ministry, you know, I, I have been to camp, um, but, you know, it was like maybe a week or two weeks and, you know, it wasn't necessarily camping, you know, like uh, I think, uh, see, it's probably like the summer, the summer after my 10th grade year, I, I believe, I went to, uh, maybe it was summer after ninth grade, it doesn't matter. I, we went, uh, my, my church youth group went to uh, a seminary college and we stayed in the dorms and okay, yeah, and that was kind of like the experience that we had. Yeah, so, so our camp um, is very high energy. Um, we have rallies and we have we have climbing towers and we have pools and we have go-karts and we have uh, rifle ranges and pretty much any experience fishing, um, volleyball, basketball, you name it, uh, we have it, paintball. Um, but ultimately, the goal is for them to have a great time and want to be here, but to hear about God and to understand how it is to have a relationship with God. And really, that is our objective. That's what we use camping ministry for. So we have eight weeks of camp in the summer. Um, we have seven weeks of uh, weekend camp in the winter, because obviously we can't have camp during the school year. And then some of our properties around the world, they actually have camp all year round because the public schools actually bring their kids to camp. And uh, but but no matter what, what we do um, at Word of Life is our goal is to share God's um, message of grace uh, and what he's done for us. And we, our goal is to share that to to all the students. So ultimately, we, we're trying to get un, unchurched people, unchurched young people to our camp so that we can have an opportunity to help them to see what else is out there. And, uh, and we've had amazing opportunities to reach so many young people. We have this uh, down there in Fort Myers area. We have this uh, ministry we partner up with. It's uh, Hope for Kids. And, and what it's foster children. And we help them raise money. And they come up here. I mean, these kids are in broken, broken, broken environments. Not just broken homes. The whole environment is just completely shattered and broken. And to see the how God changes their life in just one week, and then 
after that week, they, they want to come back. And we've seen some of those actually come to our Bible Institute. We have a Bible Institute, a one-year uh, program here in Florida, two-year program in New York, and where we get to actually train them to that next level. And really, they end up staying here to be our counselors. And so that's one of the unique things about who we are is we actually have um, our students, college students who are on our property and part of their education is they have to stay with us through the summer and there are counselors. Can you talk a little bit about what, uh, what inspired you to write your book and, mm. and really who is your book for? Mm. Well, yeah, great. I, I excited to talk about that. Um, my book ceasefire finding peace when all you see is conflict is, is a, is a, really the approach and how we're supposed to handle conflict. What's interesting is I use biblical principles being a pastor to talk about the, from Matthew 18, it talks about the specific steps that you're supposed to take in handling conflict. But what's been interesting to me, and the reason why I wrote the book was in this secular field coaching, I was a football coach, baseball coach, basketball coach, um, you know, in the secular field, business, the whole nine yards, when I owned my business, when we dealt with conflict, we handled it the right way. But for whatever reason, the church does not handle it the right way. We handle conflict in, in, this, in, the, in the approach of, I'll let someone else deal with my conflict. But in, in real life, that's not how it works. And, and what I began to realize is that what it is, it's a power, it's a power struggle. It's either I, I don't want to deal with the conflict because really I'm the issue, or it's I don't want to deal with the conflict because I don't ever think I'm the problem. When reality is, is most of the time when we have conflict, it's it's internal. It's something that we're dealing with that and we don't like it when someone addresses us. So all of a sudden we have conflict. And so interesting enough, as we were in COVID. Um, I lost my dad and as I'm losing, as my, my, I lost my dad through COVID, one of the things that hit me really hard during that process while he was sick. And then when, uh, he, he went home to be with the Lord is that I began to realize that the issues that I was struggling with within my life is that ultimately I, I didn't really love people. I just loved myself and what I could get out of people. And and the reason why I struggled within conflict was because I didn't love them the way I was supposed to. And when I was going through this stuff with my dad, I, I, I saw my selfishness and, and I was like, you know what? I had been burdened about wanting to write this book for some time as a pastor um, and some of the things I had seen in the church and, and uh, I went to my wife and just said, hey, you know what? I don't have a whole lot to do right now. It's in co it is during COVID and I've got this extra money because the stimulus checks. I think this is the time to write this book. And so uh, um, I did. I wrote the book. It took me about a year working with an editor. And uh, just this last April, we launched and it's it's done very, very well. Except, you know, I have I'm not like making money off of it, but I'm selling several thousand uh, books so far and. And, uh, and it's been very popular, more popular actually in Kenya than it has been here. And uh, where I'm doing some Zooms and stuff like that with them because conflict is real. It's, it's something that is right in front of us all the time. And I think what happened during this season of COVID, we see this war in Ukraine, 
We see the, the turmoil between mask and the unmasked. We see the turmoil between vaccinated and being unvaccinated. And we're allowing those things to be the source of our conflict when the reality is, is that's just a preference. We shouldn't even be in frustration over those things. So how do we work through it? And really we address some of those things uh, within this book called Ceasefire. Who is the primary audience that you were writing to in there? The primary audience that I actually wrote this book to was mostly uh, was the the main target was men, uh, really, because I think men, it was it's a simple read. Uh, and the reason was, is because I know um, the majority of men that I deal with don't even want to read a book. So uh, I put real life stories in there. I talk about some of the things that I had to work through and some of the struggles that I had to go through in learning the process of forgiveness and and forgiving others and then also seeking their forgiveness. And uh, so so really that was a target audience. But what I begin to realize is that it's been having an impact on more than just that, um, that uh, women, um, mothers, uh, really a lot of moms who are struggling with uh, their husbands who have left them or those types of things. And I talk about my divorce and it's just helped people to kind of walk through some of the struggles they've gone through and how to take the next steps. And, and, and be frank, I, I still don't do it well. I, my ex-wife and I, uh, she, we, my, our daughter just got married. Fortunately, it, it went as good as it possibly could have gone, but she doesn't want anything to do with me. And there's circ there's, there's some circumstances that are there that you'll just never work through it, but there's still the steps that I I took and I needed to take to try to at least find some sort of reconciliation so we could have a relationship together with our daughter. She came to a point and chose not to do that. So there are those times where it just isn't going to happen, but it doesn't mean that we're not supposed to do some things to, to work through that. Men struggle with this so much. We, we just go, well, they don't like me. Fine. You know, I'm fine. I'm over with it and I'm done. I, I, I'm good. Um, just was meeting with someone just just the other day. Son told him some things he didn't like about him, and I was like, "You re you realize you need to go to have a conversation with your son, or you may not ever have a relationship with them." Well, he just got back from that conversation, and he was like, "I am so thankful you told me." I, I was like, and I told him, "Don't call him on the phone. You need to drive. I know it's six hours away, but the things he said, that boy's hurting." Don't go there with their excuses. Just go there and listen to him just to find restoration with your son. And uh, that's what he did. And that's what he found. But unfortunately, it doesn't always work that way. Um, but I, I was hoping that this would give some hope to some people that uh, really feel like they're missing out on some things because they, they just can't forgive someone else. You mentioned forgiveness in there. Uh, being able to forgive others and forgiving yourself and, and seeking the forgiveness of others. Mm. Can you talk a little bit about that? Like, what is forgiveness to you? Mm. Well, being someone who has, uh, uh, could, you know, I believe that the Lord forgave me for all my sins. He died on the cross. He sent his son to die on the cross for me for all of my sins. I was just preaching a message at, from Hebrews 13, and I, one of the things that it says within there is that we're 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 commanded to to love others the same way that Christ loved us. Well, how did He love us? He loved us so much that He forgave us for all sins, the sins of my past, my present, and my future. 
Well, we're commanded to do the exact same thing. And I, and I realize that probably not everybody on this call has a relationship with God, but the principles still apply. Uh, it's the question is whether or not we love them and the question of whether or not we're going to choose to love them. Um, when, when things go bad with my wife, I can make a choice at that moment to go, you know, I don't want anything to do with her anymore. Or I can make a choice that says, I'm going to work through this because I love her in spite of these things. And, uh, and I'm so thankful that, um, God loved me so much that he sent his son to die for me to forgive me for all of my sins. Um, because without that, there's, for me, there was no hope of life. And, and I believe that, uh, you know, when we work through conflict, that, that those are the things that are by far the most important things to understand that really, uh, the two greatest commandments in the Bible is to love God and to love people. It's not to love myself. But for whatever reason, we look at those 10 commandments and go, oh, man, I don't live up to these things. Well, break it down. Five of them are about loving God and five of them are about loving people. It's actually pretty simple. But in order to do that, we have to be willing to set aside our preferences and and allow people um, in so that we can love them and be OK with the fact that there's certain things we may just not agree with. And, uh, in all, and that's not easy for us guys. It's for sure. It's not easy. My wife does a really good job of that, but man, for me, it, you know, if someone wrongs me, it takes me a while to get to that place of going, okay, this is, this is ridiculous. I just need to let go. I don't know why I'm letting this bother me so much. And I just need to forgive and move on. Yeah. One of the things that, uh, has been very difficult for me in my life is that, you know, that idea of forgiveness, you know, um, being able to forgive people that have gone out of their way to affect me negatively, um, that have done things, you know, in my childhood that affect me today. Yeah. Uh, and one of the things that you mentioned, and this is profound because I I, um, I find this to be true, but you you said love. And you know, we're not talking about romantic love, mm -hmm. but we're talking about the ability, and I think it starts with first loving yourself and and recognizing that you are worthy of mm -hmm. love. Mm -hmm. And and if you can love yourself and allow yourself to heal from those wounds, you know, to, to nurture the, I don't know, your, your soul, your, your being, you know, because a lot of times we can carry the pain and hurt from, from when we were children, mm -hmm. um, stuff that we might not even remember mm -hmm. uh, until we start the, the process of healing. And, oh, absolutely. And so when we, when we start to love ourselves, we find that it'll be easier to love others. Mm. And I, I, I feel like there is um, 
you know, a way or, you know, my understanding of forgiveness and what I think about when I think of forgiveness, because, you know, I was brought up in the church and, you know, being uh, washed in the blood of the lamb and and being washed clean of all my Mm -hmm. sins. And to be able to forgive somebody to that degree that has hurt me so much recognizing that holding on to that and reliving what they did to me doesn't allow me to heal. Yeah. Hmm. So why is that, that we hang on to those things that hurt us so much? And, and I feel like it's because we don't recognize that we are worthy of love and healing. I think that I think you're exactly right. Uh, I remember, it, I don't know how many weeks it was after um, I I tried to take my life, but um, someone called me and said my I mean, we weren't divorced yet, and and they they said my ex wife was with this guy and he was they were at the his house, and she kept telling me she wasn't having an affair and blah 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 and all these types of things. and I never really had any proof, but she was spending a lot of time with this guy and. Needless to say, I I actually knew where he lived. I drove to his house. I I I didn't even knock on the door. I just walked into the house. I sat down on the fireplace. She was definitely there uh, when I showed up. Her car was there. Um, they weren't trying to hide the fact that she was there. She had a. They were, they had some alcohol that they had in their hand. And, you know, I remember the whole picture. I remember what the living room looks like. In fact, that house isn't even there anymore that they ended up getting married, tore down that house, built a new house that was there. And, uh, but I can remember the old house because I walked in that door, went right to the left, sat in the fireplace, right where there was a TV above me. And they had this uh, um, sectional couch. And they were sitting there together in the sectional couch. And I looked right at both of them and said, I want you guys to know that what I think you're doing is wrong. But at the same time, I know that in order for me to move forward, that I need to forgive you. And Jamie, she was my ex-wife. I said, if you want to come back, I, I forgive you for all of this. Whatever's going on, I don't even know the details of all that's going on here. Just come home and I forgive you. But no matter what, just so you know, I forgive you. And if you don't want this anymore, then you just keep moving forward and you go through that divorce. But I am not going to get a lawyer. I'm not going to fight this. I'm not going to do these types of things. But in order for me to move on, I need to do this. And I looked right at Mark and just said, and you. And he, and he kept going, it's not what you think. It's not what you think. I said, hey, I'm not here to debate what this is or what this isn't. But what you've done is you've hurt me. And I'm letting you know that I forgive you. And, I'm, and I just know that this is what's best for me and my daughter. I know this is what's best for me and my future. Um, and I walked right back out that door, got in my car, went home. She was so mad. She came flying out of there she followed me home how dare you do all those types of things i said because i still love you but you have to make this choice and i cannot continue to live in this hurt and pain anymore and the only way i can move from this is to forgive and 
And it really set the tone uh, really for a lot of other things. And I talk about some of those things within the book, a businessman that that I was suing because he never paid me for some jobs and how I ended up uh, going to him and asking him forgiveness, actually dropping the suit, even though I was going to win it. Um, and just talked about that process and how God used that. Um, but really, in every single one of those circumstances, I could have chose to be bitter and not forgive, or I could choose to love and move on. And in those moments, I realized I needed to choose to love and move on. And I'm so thankful today. It doesn't mean that, that I still don't struggle with it, because I, 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 frankly, I do. Um, but it makes it a whole lot easier to go to my daughter's wedding, even though there's still conflict there, at least from her end to my end and go, you know what? I love my daughter so much that I don't care what she throws at me. I'm going to forgive her and I'm going to keep, you know, my ex-wife, I'll forgive her and we'll get through this because I've seen how it's worked all the way up to these uh, 20 years. And, um, and I think uh, really my life's been blessed because of it. What do you feel the, the, big takeaway from your book is is there just one uh major takeaway or is there you know quite a few um i would say there's one major takeaway and that is if you're struggling with someone go tell them i i think that's the biggest takeaway i think the reason we don't deal with conflict is because we never take step one literally we just go I'll just sweep that under the rug. It's no big deal. But then that person comes and they hurt you again. And then we sweep it under the rug. And then we then they then they hurt us again. And then it gets to the point where it's like, well, I, I don't even want anything to do with that person anymore. I'm just go, you know, I, I'm just not gonna forgive them. I just won't have anything to do with them at all. And really, it probably stemmed from one thing that was really not a very big deal. That if it would have would have been addressed at the very moment it happened, none of this probably would have happened at all. And if there's one takeaway, I really believe that the reason there's conflict in our world today is we're just not willing to address the thing that hurt us right at the beginning. And then bitterness sets in and we just don't know how to work, work through it past that point. You know, I'm wondering, so... There, there's this thing with forgiveness, you know, you know, sometimes people don't even recognize that they hurt us. I know. And there's the, and we avoid the conflict telling yep. them, this is what you did and it affected me this way. And so because we don't confront that, nothing can really heal. Right, exactly. But once we confront it, I mean, that could end up in a greater conflict. Isn't that kind of what we're afraid of, I think? Yeah, a lot that's, of times, exact, that's exactly what we're scared of. So, but there's this this thing with forgiveness, and I, 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 I feel like the people that have hurt me They've never done anything to to change how I feel about them. Mm, mm. You know, they haven't asked me for forgiveness. They haven't done anything to change who they are. And for me to forgive them, I, I think that's 
that's a little much. That's a big ask, you know, because I mean, even, I mean, our forgiveness from God is conditional, right? We have to first believe in him. You know, if we, if we don't, I mean, that forgiveness isn't given freely, right? I mean, well, his, his forgiveness is like when he died on the cross, he forgave all of our sins, but yes, he, in order for us to have a relationship, um, we have to, we need to accept the fact that we're broken and we need him. Um, you know, that, that's part of that, that process he's already, but what's different between him and us is that he's already forgiven us and his heart is already right to forgive us where we, we have to go through this whole process of, of figuring it out. But what I, but I mean, I just went through this with the guys from my, my church. I, I said some things when I left that they interpreted it a specific way. I hurt my some of my best friends. I had no idea. I knew there was something going on, but COVID happened and you know all these things. And about a year later, finally I addressed them and said, hey, what is going on, guys? Like, you know, I thought we left in on good terms and this obviously an issue. I said, do I need to drive? So I drove up to Michigan from here and i met with them i spent two days meeting with five people that that interpreted over a year period of time with some things that i said to them and, and as i'm listening i'm going oh my word like i didn't defend myself i just listened and because whatever i said was interpreted that way in their heart and their minds and that's the way they felt and that's what I began to realize as I was going through it. It may not, it may not have been my intent to to say those things, but that's what they interpreted. That's what they heard, yeah. and it was real to them. And then you know how things happen. They had conversations together, and they started bringing all these pieces together, and it got really blown out of proportion. And and I felt awful because I'm I'm listening to these conversations, going, that is not what I said. But if I would have tried to defend myself in that moment, all I would have done was made it worse. And after the conversation, I looked right at them and said, I am so sorry that that is what you thought I said. And it, obviously, that is what you heard. It was real to you. Will you forgive me? I, like, it's like nothing ever happened now. But it, it took them a year to actually have the courage to finally say that there was a problem. And I'm the one that had to address them to say, what's going on? What's the problem? I didn't have a problem with them, but you could tell in the, in the moment. And, and that's really, just like you said, I didn't even have an opportunity to, to uh, forgive them because I didn't even know I had wronged them. And, but if I would have gone with an attitude of I'm right, I didn't say that. Um, we, I guarantee you, there would not have been a resolve. And I didn't need to be right. Uh, I, what I needed to, to be was just someone who listened, heard what the whatever that hurt was, and even though I may not have said that, that's I hurt them in that way because that's what they heard, and I needed to still seek their forgiveness. And you know what? Things are great today. Um, but most of the time it doesn't work that way. It's like, 
we we are de constantly defending ourselves. It's like, well, I really meant this. Or, I, you know, when I'm having a fight with my wife, it's like, no, that's not what I said. I actually said this. What? I can't believe we're having a fight over this. I actually said this. Well, truth is, this is what she heard. What she heard was the words I said, plus my scary eyebrows. She's, that's what she says all the time. So she's interpreting it based off of my facial expressions. So what I said in word may have been one thing, but what she heard through everything else was something totally different. And I still heard her. And I still need to ask for forgiveness, whether I'm right or whether I'm wrong. The reality was, is that I love her more than being right. And I just, well, I'd, I would rather us not have to go through that. And I would just accept the fact that I need to do a better job of how I communicate. That's the lesson I need to learn here. All, all relationships uh, are built on communication, good yep. communication. Yeah. To be the best coach, you know, life coach, whatever, the, the best way to do it is is typically just to be a better listener. Yeah. And and then and then through listening, respond in a way that encourages and builds people up. But when we are in conflict, we have the tendency, oh, I'm right though, I'm right though, I'm right. But when we coach, we don't do it that way. Yeah. We coach to come to understand. And so it's just interesting. That in life, how we can separate the two when reality it's we should just be doing it the one way. Pretty awesome, man. And so do you uh do you take on private clients or is most of your coaching done through the organization that you work for? I am starting to take on a private client. And since I I wrote the book, um, I'm in the process of uh putting together some curriculum for that book. Um, but I have started taking on some private clients, uh, some individuals who have read my book and just asked if they could be. Um, and then through that ha have learned that, oh, maybe I should get some curriculum that kind of goes along with the book. There are some questions after each chapter that uh, that we, we put in the book so that people can kind of process through what they've read and kind of begin to deal and think through some of the things that they need to work on. Um, but really my, my hope is through this, it was never actually to get coaching gigs, but it was really to encourage people to, to, to work through the conflict. We just, I just don't think people work through it at all. They just ignore it. And, um, and I'm hoping that through this, that I can be an encouragement to people one way or another, whether it's, you know, through a conference, whether it's through one-on-one, -on -one, or, you know, whether it's just by reading the book. Ceasefire, finding peace when all you see is conflict. Chip, thank you so much for, for coming on today. What is the best way for people to connect with you and, and buy your book? The best way to connect with me is through my um, website, chipnightingale.com, and uh, they can get my book on Amazon um, and Kindle, or you can get it uh, paperback, and um, and you can also look me up on Amazon, Chip Nightingale, um, and as an author, and, and really uh, all the information, though, that you could possibly need. I also have a podcast, um, Yes, You Can Lead. Life and Leadership Lessons with me, um, but that's on all on all the 
the podcast, but you can find that on my website as well. So really the best way to really get any information about me is through my website. Awesome. Well, I will have uh, links in the show notes. So anybody listening, uh, just, you know, I would encourage you to check out his book, check out his website and uh, definitely check out the podcast. Uh, thanks again, man. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks, Dave. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this episode of From Embers to Excellence. Please visit hollenbachleadership.com for additional content. And don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave a review.